Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men, a podcast about board games, table games, and tabletop war games. I'm your host, Troy, my pronouns are he, him, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. Yay, my name's Ed, and my pronouns are they and them. Um, I had a some kind of witty bit planned out for this, but I've completely forgotten it. Something about our subject today, which is... Oh, wait, that's my line. Uh, we're talking about Amazons and warrior women. Woo! Woo! A topic with a long and storied history. Of which I will probably butcher, because I don't think I did nearly enough research as this on I, as I could have, but... Oh, well, what do I look like, a professional podcaster? I mean, this is a subject that can fill books and has filled books. It has... It's filled a couple of books that I have on my bookshelf. Yes. So if you're coming to our random off-the-wall amateur one-hour podcast, uh, maybe we can give you some reading tips for the end of it. And you can go read those and, you know, get the, get the depth and details that you want. We're just here to make bad jokes and talk about nerdy things. I accept non-bigoted criticism and opinion in relation to this topic. Yes. Also right. that. But before we get into that, we have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby, where we go over what we've done the last week in hobby. I'll go first. Uh, mine's pretty straightforward. I had a Lancer game. We, the party, um, made it to the safety of friendly lines, um, and then was sent back out into the city that was, you know, being overrun in the hopes of uh, recovering a VIP from a limo that had gotten stuck on one of the streets and was getting assaulted by enemy uh, mechs. So they had to uh, defeat the local mechs and um, then try and uh, secure the VIP and get them the hell out of there. Are your party party protecting billionaires? Uh, It was an ambassador. So, probably not billionaires. Also, the invading bad guys are religious fanatics. So... I'll I'll side with the ambassador in that case, I guess. Also, uh, Union is a post-scarcity Star Trek Federation-style civilization. But do they still have hierarchies? Yes, they do. Then burn it to the ground. Most worlds in it especially the major ones the ones that have been around for a long time are substantially less hierarchical than anything in human history and and are about as good as you're gonna get uh the I want worlds our hierarchy towards... so flat that i can see to the edge of the universe which i don't i don't remember if the universe is flat or saddle shaped it's been a while since astronomy yeah cosmology is something I actually know about, but also there are multiple theories about what this shape of the universe is, and you can't see to the end of it because it's expanding, you fool! Um, uh, faster than light eyesight, I I don't know. Uh, that, okay, they have tachyon beam weapons in Lancer, so you might actually pull that one off. (laughs) Um, also, time shenanigans, which none of the players have, because none of them went with the lich. Um, but... They, they have other shenanigans that they're doing. Um, so they managed to pull that off. They had some fights. They got had one player who ran his mech so hot that it started to have a reactor meltdown. And What's... he had to literally, like, shut down his mech during the final round of combat rather than... Or, or else he would have blown up. Good job, Chernobyl. Yes. Well, I mean, that's what he gets for... Choosing a fighting style based on, like, being in the danger zone all the time. And picking a mech frame that has some of the lowest heat capacity of anything in the game. I mean... Trying trying to think of a metal that's bad at absorbing heat. Uh... Well... Perhaps one of the metals that's liquid at room temperature? Yeah. That's what you get for having a mech made out of mercury. Actually, I believe mercury is a very good uh, heat absorber and conductor because it uh, 
because of the way it, like, vaporizes off. Maybe we should go for something like, um, one of those metals that conducts heat really well. I think, I think in one of my technical manuals for work, it does have, like, the complete electrical properties of just about every metal, and I'm like, why on earth do I need to know the electrical conduct conductivity properties of mercury? I'm pretty sure that one was in there, because I was like, what is this? No. If I'm trying to pass electricity through mercury, I'm doing something very, very wrong. Could be fun. I mean, there's... Well, actually, I guess there's, there's like, headlights and stuff like that that use mercury vapor, so... Yeah. I'm sure maybe it applies Old in ones. that sense. Now everything's LED, but also, like, science fiction technology, mercury droplet radiators are a theoretical technology for uh, heat radiation on spaceships. Um where you, you you essentially squirt liquid mercury, well, just mercury in that case, uh, from the front of your ship to the back outside in space, because that's a faster and more effective way of cooling off than, you know, most substances. My attempts at hyperbole for humor using mercury have been thwarted by your Aha, knowledge. By my knowledge of esoteric space things. Drink deep and descend. Uh, that was my big thing. I didn't do any painting or working on models or any of that this week. I've been running around doing other stuff. Sold my car. Now I am a bicyclist. All the time. All day, every day. Um, and, uh, we did have a little get-together where we finished our Blood Bowl game and, uh, had a Battletech match. Um, I'll talk about the Blood Bowl. You want to talk about the Battletech? All right. I'm guessing in this case, uh, our use of the air conditioner is balanced out by your lack of using a car to get here. We're Effectively, keeping, yeah. We're keeping nature in balance. Yeah. I mean, I think the air conditioner was going to be on anyway. Yep. So... That was the whole point. We could do air-conditioned gaming and just not be sweating like fantasy football players while yeah. sitting down. Yeah, um, so I'll talk about the Blood Bowl, you can talk about the Battletech. Um, Blood Bowl, the Skaven managed to score again. Of course they did. Um. And again. And again? Did, yeah, I guess I it did was, score twice. The score was 3-0. Yeah, I scored twice with the Skaven in the second half. Uh, your, um, Witch Elf got... Smacked she up. broke her ass. <laughs> she broke her ass by, um, well, uh, attempting to throw a block and getting a both down and then breaking her own armor. Which is yep. annoying because that means my Skaven didn't get any experience for injuring her. And even more annoying that it happened right at the, I think it was on the first turn of the second half. So I had that entire second half with no star player essentially that's right it also kind of broke your chances to stop my scoring because that happened very early i in had the i had no thing and caused a turnover so i could just run the ball in i had no lady warrior to go around and absolutely maul your players yeah you weren't playing amazons no i i haven't been able to find an amazons uh blood bowl set in one of our local stores yet I did find them earlier, but I don't know if, like, Blood Bowl stuff is starting to go out of print or if it's just not popular enough to keep in stock, but I'm finding less and less of it at our local stores. I have noticed that as well. I think it's a shelf space issue. I've, Games Workshop is putting out so much other stuff, and especially the new 40K stuff, that they're shrinking yep. the shelf space devoted to Blood Bowl. Um, I saw one last year... It, um, the Games Workshop store at Botanisborn, but I, you know, haven't been there in a year, in like seven or eight months. So, doubt yeah, they still I was there the a Amazons. while ago and they only had, I think they only had a box set and some other random team. It might have been Halflings, which yeah. I already have. Yep. Well, that's, uh, that's me talking about the, my, about Blood Bowl, um, well, I suppose a little more detail. The Skaven scored twice. The Elves had a hard time getting organized and 
generating momentum or um, getting going anywhere. It was uh, really funny, though. It was very funny. There were a few attempts at passes that were pretty good. Um, there was a dump-off that... The dude was standing literally right next to him, and he couldn't make it. Yeah, he, he failed the dump-off, but then just got pushed by the tackle, um, which is kind of one of those hilarious And he would have held on to the ball anyway Yeah, that he is just taken the push. That is the danger with dump off. I've seen it happen a couple of times. Um, there were a few instances where you threw blocks that were, were ill-advised. Probably. Um, sometimes they worked and sometimes they didn't because that's how Blood Bowl functions. Yep. Um, I still and, haven't uh, mastered the action economy of Blood Bowl yet. For example, like I try and I'll try and like throw a pass and then realize that oh yeah, that guy that I just passed the ball to, he's already moved to get into the pass position because I'm still thinking of like actual football. Yeah. Where you you throw the hand egg to the guy and then he keeps on running with it and you can't do that in Blood Bowl, so it's like you got to you got to get your your thrower into position first, then throw it to the guy who will carry it and run away with it. Yep. But honestly against Skaven it doesn't really matter because there's absolutely nothing I can do to run far enough away from you to get to safety. Yes, no, the gutter so runners... That just makes it even more complex. The gutter runners will just, like, get in your way and then slow you down long enough that the normal guys can get over there and punch you. Freaking rats all over the place. Go Team Rats! Um, and then I guess I'll let you talk about the Battletech game with your Yay. own hobby. So my week was kind of all over the place dealing with some background shenanigans here at home which is why this episode is late uh but we also did battletech uh, i think this is our third battletech game now correct and we actually did finish this one uh yeah. you were the definite winner uh because for kicks and giggles i decided it would be funny to throw the urban mech lance box set up against a single atlas um i had the urban mechs in their natural environment they were guarding a casino from a large Steiner mech that decided it wanted to come in. The bouncer said no, and the bouncers all had their legs shot off, um, which was actually kind of funny because once they had all lost their legs, they were no longer moving, so they weren't taking any penalties to shooting. So only once everybody had stopped moving was I able to start chipping away at the armor of the Atlas and almost got through the, the center torso armor. But my hippity-hoppity, get-off-my-property strategy of using the jump jets to jump around and try and not get hit didn't work. But then as soon as everybody was just sitting there on the ground, uh, aimlessly shooting at your gigantic robot, <laughs> did I actually make any progress? That was quite humorous. The problem was that your hippity-hoppity, jump-jump-around uh, move resulted in you having one person able to shoot at me each turn. And yeah, I couldn't get them all, having, at, all at once. And, and, and that left me with one target each turn. So you you essentially had sequential turns where the Atlas would fight a single urban mech. And that never ended well for the urban mech. And I couldn't, I couldn't convince you to come all the way into the urban area where I could actually like get behind you because if I wanted to try and go for back shots or get uh, anywhere where I could make those numbers count, I would have to run straight down the street at you and your gigantic lasers. And it just, it didn't work. I knew yes. the urban mech was bad, but oh man, that's rough. Yes. I, I think next time you actually had the edge on battle value this time. Which yeah, is which very is kind funny. of surprising. Um, but that has more to do with there just being a base value for each mech, I think. Because mm-hmm. um, you certainly did not out-ton me or out-arm me, <laughs> I would say. Um, I think next time we do this, we we do 5 to 1, and we just do it by tonnage rather than battle value. <laughs> so I you s- just get 100 tons of urban mech, and I get... An atlas or something. I assume there's got to be some some use for them other than for the lulls. 
um, in or I don't know, maybe they're the, they're just the halflings of BattleTech. They're uh, there and they're there to just be a meme. There's a little of that. Uh, there's also that they're really good for filling out the last 400 points of a list. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, they are among the cheapest mechs that you can have. Um, and if you do get enough of them to properly swarm and set up a situation where, like, you're firing 5 to 1 or out-activating somebody 5 to 1, that gets kind of dangerous. Yeah, and especially, like, there were a couple of them that, you know, they they can pack a punch. Yeah. Uh, they can't do a whole lot of it, but a couple of them have some relatively beefy weapons. Yeah, those ones do cost small. more than the... Yep. Those ones are in the, like, 700, 800 range. But, I mean, the Atlas was 2,800 or 2,900 <laughs> or something. So, yeah. Now, that being said, we'll see how four or five of them fare against a dire wolf. A, yeah. a mech that can actually move at a reasonable speed in this sort of environment. I'm guessing it'll probably be about the same outcome. I mean, it is a Jade Falcon dire wolf, so <laughs> he must fight with only honor and will want to try and duel 1v1 against your mechs. No, this is going to be this is going to be like a casino bouncer situation where somebody starts swinging on one of the security guys and then just all these dudes in tuxedos just rush out and dogpile. That's how this is going to work. It it's going to be like Mike Tyson wailing on one of the on a security guy because, you know, <laughs> Face tattoos. Also very true. <laughs> Clan Jade Falcon, very into the face tattoos. Yep. So. Um, see, other than playing Battletech, uh, I've been lurking around on the queer Battletech Discord, which has been fun. Uh, I found some printable uh, overlays for various terrains for the hex, uh, the hexes and stuff like that. Since the fact that the game plays on hexes... Uh, it makes terrain a little bit tricky. Um, and before I was recording, uh, while I was waiting for my crops to be watered, I started uh, refurbishing my 3D printer. So maybe this weekend I'll get some some Battletech stuff printed. I don't know yet. Um, finished up two more mechs. I finished the Catapult and the Thunderbolt. Um I added some very bright green highlights on onto them because they're fairly monochromatic. They have their green for Canopus, and then they have the gold accents. And to try and make the gold accents stick out a little bit more, I added uh, just some black-like framing to anything that was painted in gold. And they still looked pretty flat, so I took a really bright, uh, like, lizard green and did some edge highlighting which actually seemed to work pretty well. Um, I'm getting a lot better at edge highlighting. Um, and I also started experimenting with some Tamiya uh, texture powders. I have one that's like a carbon kind of soot looking thing and another one that's like a uh, little mini makeup palette that has a couple of different colors in it, uh, mostly like browns and such. Uh, I also have another one that's called Oil Stain and... It does a good job of kind of matting down the colors a little bit because when you use that acrylic paint, it's a little bit, it's got a little bit of shine to it. And so the powders help cut down the shine a little bit and just kind of dirty everything up, especially the uh, oil stain powder. Uh, it does a good job of mimicking how grit and grime will like stick to a surface that has grease or oil applied to it. Um, so I've been putting that like around the joints or anything that would in theory be moving. And I think it looks pretty good. I might add a little bit of a glossier uh, uh, tint back in there, just like in the very deep recesses to where like the oil would still be like fresh and clean. Yeah. You so, gotta get some lubricant in there. Yeah. As far as uh, how the mechs are looking, I think they're, they look pretty badass um, for how simple everything is. So, um, I'm excited to paint more. I backed the Kickstarter for the new Mercenaries expansion that comes out. Uh, it's nice to not have to interact with a very FOMO-based Kickstarter. They're basically, yep, you get the you get the box, 
plus some extras and everything else that you can get with it that's optional for the most part you can just buy in the store later as opposed to you know we're locking a third of the game behind kickstarter exclusives or some kind of bullshit like that so in october we'll have some fun mercenaries and some fun uh vehicles to interact with yay mercenaries vehicles Yay, war crimes. (laughs) Hey, hey, don't say yay, war crimes. (laughs) This isn't a military history podcast. Uh, Most of the time, not. I think I've only done one episode that's military history related. Except maybe this one. I mean, certainly we'll have some history. Yay. Yay. So, main topic. Yeah, son. Uh, So, my... Disclaimer and my disqualifications uh, for talking about this topic of Amazons and warrior women in both history and games. I am not a professional scholar of women's history, and I'm still actively learning more about feminist theory um, and all that. So I may not be the best person to talk about this topic, but I'm doing my best. Um, Also, this one is being explored through the lens of the gender binary of men versus women. Uh, If you want a more nuanced discussion about gender variance and all that, you can go check out our episode on uh, representation for Pride Month this year. Hooray. Hooray. So for pretty much as long as people have been telling stories, um, warrior women and warrior women's societies have been a common trope, uh, particularly in like the fantasy genre or the mythology mythology, uh, genre. Um, individual female characters, uh, are also common in sci-fi, but the trope, the trope of like an Amazon or isolated tribe or just a matriarchal warrior woman society doesn't seem to be as common in, uh, sci-fi. Death by snoo snoo. Well, you, you beat me to that one, but that I was going to mention that one later. Um, like I said, there's, there's like. Because obviously we're talking about like the whole of written human history. There's probably examples that could be found out there, but I can't be bothered to read all of human literature. Oh, I, uh, I would try, but it is physically impossible since the, I think, 1600s to read <laughs> all the material that is written in a given year in the time span of a year. I looked at lame. I looked into it once. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a it's a common thing that shows up. Um, whether it's, you know, something that was written yesterday or something that was written by the ancient Greeks and told around a bonfire during funeral games or, you know, something like that. Um, in the real world, equity between genders varies widely depending on the time and the place. Uh, groups like the Hopi indigenous tribes in North America and the Nashi in uh, southwest China near Tibet are mostly egalitarian cultures, um, even if they still are essentially like ruled by a patriarchal structure. Um, there is relative equity in comparison to what you would see in, you know, the United States, Western Europe, etc. Um, on the other far end, you have countries like Saudi Arabia or fundamentalist Christian churches like the Quiverful movement, which are extremely Ooh. restrictive. And women have like very little to no agency and are essentially there to serve as props and or, you know, just useful items for the men folk. Um, Unfortunately, a majority of modern anthropologists and historians agree that there is little to no documented evidence of an actual matriarchal society uh, having existed where women are on top of the pile and men take the role of second class citizens. In general, this is because men are, for the most part, larger and stronger than women. And despite the population being a relatively 50-50 mix in terms of men and women, men are more able to use the actual or implied threats of physical or sexual violence to get their way. So, hooray, patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> also, if anyone tells you hunter-gatherer shit, that's that's bull. Um, plenty of men were gatherers, plenty of women were hunters. The division with labor is more to do with what people were actually good at than any sort of district like gender-based setup it's almost like humanity is a spectrum (gasps) what (laughs) this is the episode that get this is the episode that gets us canceled for being woke um i think 
I think I might have this just generated This is the episode that gets us canceled <laughs> being woke. I, I'm pretty sure I hear the sounds of an arrest warrant being issued in Florida for excessive wokeness. So uh, sorry to anybody who wanted a live show in Florida. <laughs> no one, No one asked for that. I mean, honestly, we actually did have plans to go to Florida and do things down there because we wanted to go and we cancel it for obvious reasons. Yeah, um, I would suggest if you're going to, I mean, Puerto Rico's nice. Yeah, Puerto Rico's pretty nice. I, I would suggest doing Puerto Rico. They could probably, like, issues with tourism being inherently exploitative aside, they deserve your money more than Florida does. This is true. Uh, throw all your dollars at Puerto Rico and support their bids at independence if that's how the people decide to vote since no one wants to change the flag i say we do one in one out (laughs) and make puerto rico a state and devote and drop florida down to being a territory cool yeah uh florida boo sorry to anybody who lives in florida and listens to this show i don't know if you can get a state-by-state breakdown of where people are listening i can actually cool uh, if you're a nerd who's living to this in Florida and you agree with our politics, yay. Um, if not, boo. <laughs> uh, if you are, please vote. And if that doesn't work, um, consider moving to a state like Montana where your vote will count much more. Montana's it's nice there. I like Montana. But you know who also likes Montana? Fictional warrior women. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so despite the uh, despite the overwhelming patriarchal structure of human societies, women who are considered equal to or greater than men have been a common trope in fiction throughout history. Um, there's a distinct possibility that this kind of originates from a either a fetishization of fetishization of exoticness um, or, you know, just kind of generalized othering to provide a compelling story of, you know, oh, this is so strange. You know, their ways are weird. Um, Isn't that, you know, interesting? Or it's possible, as we've discussed before, with uh, people in the ancient world that, you know, some Greeks or Mediterraneans came across like steppe tribe uh, hunters or war bands or, uh, you know, Celtic tribes who had women as part of their fighting groups and were either mystified and or fascinated uh, by this fact. So I'm guessing it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, the most well-known fictional warrior women, uh, and it's a trope that's still alive and well today, are the ancient Greek Amazons. The name Amazon comes from a Greek root meaning in the manner of men or uh, like a man. And it's supposed to refer to how they fought like men. Um, in Greek mythology, they're the offspring of Ares and a nymph, which leads them to both be incredibly beautiful and incredibly warlike. Um, they're, they show up kind of as like ancient Greek Vikings, they just show up, they can raid stuff, they run off with your stuff. Uh, Sometimes if you're on a quest, you will run into them and they will make your day worse because then you have to fight or, you know, do something else like that. Fight or Uh, trick them if you're Odysseus. Yep. Uh, They show up in a lot of, they show up in a lot of ancient Greek texts, but the most well-known, excuse me, most well-known one is uh, one of the labors of Hercules where he has to kill Queen, uh, Hippolytia and get her belt and during the fight they stab each other and they lock eyes and immediately fall in love uh Hippolytia dies immediately afterwards oops uh didn't Hercules kills a lot of people he wants to bang Hercules he's not very he's not a smart dude he's pretty dumb I mean to be fair the other hero that everyone thinks is super cool and strong Thor equally dumb (laughs) thor and hercules resident himbos of this podcast yes yes i would say both of them are um and i would i would also suppose enkidu as like the og himbo (laughs) way to get killed man yeah sorry buddy well uh back in the real world it's Plausible that the Amazons were inspired by ancient Greeks coming in contact, uh, particularly with Scythians, um, also Sarmatians and Hittites, um, who were 
primarily uh, horse riding cultures from the Near East uh, areas of like Anatolia, um, the steppes, kind of, you know, what we consider like Southeastern Europe at this point. Um, they probably saw them and then they're like, oh, wow, that's crazy. These people have women who fight uh, with their menfolk and they ride horses. And it's probably terrifying because they probably just stole all your stuff. And uh, a fun fact, uh, in 2019 in Russia, a Scythian burial plot was found, which had multiple generations of what the archaeologists are deducing as Scythian warrior women. They were buried with their weapons. Uh, they had gold headdresses and lots of other fancy grave goods that are associated with Scythian warriors. So they were they were well regarded enough to have both fancy goods and their own like distinctive burial area. They, you know, weren't just put in a grave and be like, yep, that's done. It's like, no, these are all these women. They're going into, you know, the uh, Amazon Valkyrie grave. I don't know what the Scythians would have called their their female warriors. I don't speak Scythian. I don't think anybody does at this point. I don't think so. And I don't think there's a lot of record of their um mythologies left yeah i don't i don't i should know but i don't know like how many written records the scythians left behind i don't believe ask, they were a real big writing civilization ask me back in like 2007 i probably could have told you when i was studying like classical civilizations in college uh some other notable uh warrior women that show up in history include queen tomaris who is either a scythian or iranian uh, depending on which source you believe, I've seen both. Um, but she's notable for killing King Cyrus uh, during a war that resulted from her refusal of a marriage proposal. Which, yeah, uh, if you don't want to get married, you know, Murder sometimes you got to fight for that. Yep. Uh, and then Queen Boudicca, who fought against the Romans to force them out of Britain. Um, she didn't fare as well. Uh, ended up getting cornered up against a cliff along with her uh, retinue and viciously murdered by the Romans. Uh, Joan of Arc also fought to force the British out of France, uh, also failed, kind of. Uh, yeah. She died. The The French fared the better. The Joan of Arc story is super weird. Yeah. But she does fit into this group, so. Yep. And then uh, during World War II, uh, women were not an uncommon sight in the Soviet armed forces on the Eastern Front. Um, in a direct combat role that was not common among the other armies because you had things like the Women's Air Corps, the Women's Auxiliary Corps in the United States um, where women were part of the armed forces, but they were very rarely in a direct combat role. Um, and in the Soviet Union, uh, women often showed up as snipers, fighters, bomber pilots, um, and were also noted for uh, a very dogged defense of the areas around Stalingrad with anti-tank artillery, which spooked a lot of the Germans because they are finding these artillery centers that just are not breaking. And they're like, wow, this is weird. They should have all run by now. And they're like, oh, it's a whole bunch of Russian women. Why are they not breaking? This is really weird. Because Babushka is angry with you. Yep. Um, there was only about 10,000 or so uh, women who joined up uh for the Soviet armed forces during the world war, during the second world war. Uh, but also knowing the state of Soviet record keeping slash secrecy, who knows if that number is actually true or not. Um, and at least in the early part of the Soviet union, there was a fair amount of equity between men and women in the union. Uh, so it's not surprising they would show up in the military, but I think also in this case, uh, with them being invaded, it was much more of a case of if we don't, if everybody doesn't fight, we're all going to die. So, but they are, um, they are definitely, a, an interesting piece of Soviet and World War II history. There's a lot of stuff that's been written about them. Uh, Night Witches, probably one of my favorite World War II stories and an absolute tragedy that has, there has not been a movie made about the Night Witches yet, at least not a Hollywood movie. Maybe the Soviets or the Russians have made one. I don't know. I mean, it it's one of those things that they didn't really produce propaganda about, presumably because uh, misogyny. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a distinct possibility. Yeah. Also, if you're if you're like producing a lot of like official propaganda, it kind of it may also kind of ruin the mystique. 
you know, if the Germans know that it's like, oh, it's these it's these ladies who fly who fly bombers at night, as opposed to what is that flapping sound? Oh God, why is Hans missing a head? Well, um, remember that most of the Soviet World War II propaganda, like films and stuff, got made after World War II. Mm, mm-hmm. They they did not have a lot of time and effort to put into producing films about how great the war was going when people were at the gates of Moscow. We got other things to do. Yeah. Um, they, like, they they also, you know, the, the Stalinist purges had not been kind to the filmmaking industry of the Soviet Union. <laughs> no, they were not. Um, as, as any student of, well, Soviet films will tell you. <laughs> uh, so going back to the fictional world, uh, the warrior women and warrior women society trope uh, is still fascinating for us in popular culture. Uh, Wonder Woman uh, is a literal Greek Amazon. Um, Futurama took the Amazon mythology and continued to twist the quote in ways of men idea um, by coding some of the Amazonians with more kind of like boorish negative uh, stereotypes that are associated with men for comedic effect. Well, uh, remember that the Futurama Amazons are ruled, in fact, by an evil femputer. This is true. Uh, so if you if you haven't seen that episode Star of Futurama, Trek. you should watch it. <laughs> yes, um, um, the episode is titled, I believe, Amazon Women in the Mood. Yep. It's where you get death by snoo snoo. It's a it's a classic episode. <laughs> um. You get Xena, warrior princess. Again, uh, she's coming from the Greek Amazon mythology, um, even though she's supposed to be Thracian as far as I know. But eh, that's, you know, probably one of the inspirations for the myth in the first place. And then uh, Red Sonia, who was a Robert E. Howard pulp character who originally uh, started out as a character who was a Russian woman fighting medieval Turks uh, and was later incorporated into the Conan universe. Um, I probably could have done more research as to why that happened, uh, I, but she's, yeah. Do you know this story? Well, okay. So red Sonia wasn't, um, I, I don't believe. Uh, she didn't start in the Conan universe, but they like took the idea of her character from another one of his stories and just added her into the Conan universe. Yeah. Uh, so there was a, um, there was a Russian woman in, like, a story that he had written set in, like, the uh, um, Siege of Vienna. Yep. Where a Russian woman fighting the Turks. And then in the 70s, when they were doing Conan the Barbarian comic books under Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, they one of the artists used that as kind of an inspiration for a red-haired warrior woman. Uh, like, just borrowed the name and made a you know, standard Amazonian warrior woman um, ah. to be a, like, Conan, but with boobs. <laughs> I mean, I'm not... You're not wrong. Yeah, that that's pretty much the, the deal with her, is that she's... Yep. Her, her family's killed, and she is given powers by a deity, and blah, blah, blah your basic sword and sorcery stuff yeah dynamite still publishes her comics they're good pulpy reads if you don't want to think too hard um if you want conan with boobs yes yeah and fun fact uh the chainmail bikini that's become like her canonical outfit is not actually the way she started her original outfit was like a red tunic uh with chainmail under it just kind of a standard like medieval looking you know kind of warriorish clothing uh, the bikini was actually created as fan art by a Spanish artist named Esteban Moroto uh, in the 70s. And he did it to kind of like do that character in the the weird uh, fantasy art style from the 70s that was popular at the time. He sent the, pu- the paintings into the publishers and they're like, great, we love this idea. Um, boobs are going to sell comics. And that's pretty much what she's worn ever since unfortunately which brings us around finally to wargaming only 39 minutes in um 
until the last decade or so, depictions of women in fantasy games have not been great. Uh, mostly influenced by the 70s pulp imagery um, that you get from artists like Joe Jusco, Boris Vallejo, and Frank Frazetta. And there's nothing wrong with, like, campy, horny art, but it can't be the only representation that's out there, and it shouldn't be, like, the representation. Um, so a lot of women who show up in wargaming tend to hold on to this sexualized barbarian woman image. Uh, they're usually topless, semi-undressed. Um, you're not going to see a Conan the Barbarian type miniature where he's just got like one testicle hanging out of his loincloth. Um, so it's pretty egregious, but it is, it is getting better. Um, most war games include women as characters to one extent or extent or another, but there are only a few explicitly female factions that I've come across. Um, and your mileage may vary in regards to the amount of perviness that has been, uh, baked into, you know, said game or said depictions. Um, the main place where I seem to see a lot of like Amazon or specifically women's only factions comes from the Warhammer universe. Um, the Amazons are, you know, they're part of the fantasy universe and they're just literally Amazons. It's, it says on the tin what it is. They're a cross between the Greek Amazon mythology along with pre-Columbian Aztecs and Incas. Um, they fight, they reproduce on their own through reason, through ways that they will not explain to outsiders. Presumably uh, they like it's to, magic because they're kind of linked yeah. to the uh, Saurian lizard folk who have good magic. Yep. They worship old ones. Uh, they like to fight. They like to raid. And... For the most part, they also really like to play football because they don't have an actual army in Warhammer Fantasy for reasons that I cannot fathom. Uh, but they show up in Blood Bowl. They've been in Blood Bowl since the beginning. Uh, Look, they're there very. Are, there are a number of groups that don't have armies but show up in Blood Bowl. This is also very true. Uh, they're actually one of my favorite uh, teams in Blood Bowl because, at least in the previous edition, they all got Dodge. Uh, which was nice because they could be really hard to tackle, it but they're also gross. very fragile. <laughs> uh, they're also very fragile. They don't wear a whole lot of armor, um, but they did a fairly good job of like holding onto the ball, passing the ball. They're a lot of fun. Um, I particularly like the new edition of Amazons that GW put out. They ditched the weird like Incan bikini aesthetic that they had previously. Now for something that actually looks like an outfit that you would play football in. Uh, it's kind of like a tunic with a belt. Uh, you know, looks like it's something you could be comfortable doing sports in. Let's see who else. Uh, the K Knights from Warhammer fantasy, or I guess in this case now it's uh, age of Sigmar. They're a spinoff of the dark elves. Uh, and basically they're, they're not like a secret society, but they're like a section of society that's an entirely female organization within dark elf culture. Uh, they're kind of like Amazons taken to an extreme, both in their 1970s uh, chainmail bikini lack of armor and their absolute fanaticism for war. Uh, they take a lot of drugs. They drink a lot of drug laced blood and just want to kill and they have absolutely no regard for just about anything else. Um, see my, uh, dark elf teams, witch elf who will track down your thrower and absolutely murderize them. Cool. As long as she stays away from my gutter runners. Yep. <laughs> Not a chance. Well, good uh, thing they have dodge. They are kind of moving in an interesting direction in Age of Sigmar. They're turning more into like uh, Medusa monsters, which is kind of cool. So I we'll mean, see where they take on that. That's one of the other Greek female figures. Yep. Uh, we're just coming full circle. I guess the last one being Arachne. Yeah. Um, which if you're talking spider ladies who are also warriors, might I introduce you to the drow oh you beat me to it i guess yeah the drow they're they're a matriarchal society yep although they are not the classic warrior women 
for the most part, because the ladies tend to be mages. That's what the men do. Make Um, them fight. Yeah, make them fight, or they make the slaves, they take fight. The drow are not nice people, for the most part. In most... Dark elves, drow, generally not nice. (laughs) Yes. Um, I I would put forth that uh, the... A slightly different take on the warrior women, drawing less from Greek mythology and more from, uh, well, Catholicism. The Sisters Uh, of Battle. Yep. Once again, you beat me straight to my next paragraph. I I Um. (laughs) didn't read your notes. Are you sure? Have you not been spying on my notes? No, I just know you. (laughs) Yeah, Sisters of Battle, uh, moving on to uh, the sci-fi edge of things. Um, They are the armed wing of the Imperial Church, because according to, like, the church's, like, constitution in 40K, they have a prohibition of, quote, men under arms, which they take literally, meaning that their army is imposed entirely of women, and they have a really cool, like, Catholic nun going into battle aesthetic. And it's not, like, some stupid sexy nun trope either. They are, like, Decked out in armor, they've got big battle engines. They're cool. I'm glad they're back. For uh, a long time, Sisters of Battle were just not a thing that GW was interested in producing. And I guess yeah. uh, Joan of Arc would be kind of like the main like aesthetic thing they're going for. A lot of fleur-de-lis. 100%. All the fleur-de-lis, yep. the saints, the... Yeah, all the medieval Catholicism stuff. It's full Joan of Arc pull. Yep. They're, they're cool. Uh, they they think of nothing but the Emperor. Um, they will burn they you if you so much emperor. as... Yep. They will they will burn you in fire if you so much as think a heretical thought. Uh, or, I think, or for any other reason. I think when it comes to uh, uh, like depictions of women in sci-fi games and things like that, they're one of the least egregious. Um... Most of them, yes. Yeah, there's a couple of questionable ones out there, but the, for the uh, most part, they're one it? of the better ones. The Arcoflagellants, the Arcoflagellants and Sisters Repentia. Yeah, they've got the they've got the battle bikini thing going on for reasons. But I think the new Sisters Repentia, they're essentially wearing like potato sacks. Um, that is I know more the historically accurate were, for one. Yeah. The old ones were wearing, like, battle bikinis, but the new ones, they're just kind of like potato sacks because they've been disgraced and now must sacrifice themselves for the Emperor in the most painful way possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, you got others? Uh, the last one that I've got here uh, for Battletech is uh, the Magistrancy of Canopus, uh, the only other really explicitly matriarchal faction that I could come across in tabletop gaming. Um, it's ruled by women... And they exclude men and possibly other gender-variant individuals. I don't know what they would do with my gender-fluid ass um, from government power, but they still have, like, relative gender equality. Um, And since your pilots are in giant robots, you know, you can create a pilot of whatever gender you want. So I I count it. Yeah. Um, Let's see. The clans are a warrior society... um, total equality of the sexes because the warriors are all genetically engineered superhumans. So it, it really does not matter which gender you're, you are. They, they don't give a shit. Um, it's not like you're What's supposed your, to have kids anyway. What is in your pants? Honor. Honor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what is in your pants? Honor. Um, they, like, they generally don't... The warrior cast doesn't have kids like their their utmost goal is to do something so heroic and impressive that their genetic code will be used to create the next batch of uh warriors excellent so like they they have warrior women but they also have warrior men and there's they make no real distinction between them I mean, they make lots of distinctions between warriors and other castes, so they've got their own <laughs> issues there. But uh, gender's not a problem for them. Um, or sexuality, yeah. for that matter. They just don't give a shit. So yeah, those are most of the ones that I could think of for tabletop wargaming. I kind of I breezed over t- 
tabletop RPGs because that topic is just like huge. Although for some reason, Amazons aren't really like an official thing that I've found in either 5e or Pathfinder. It's more of like a homebrew type thing, but I mean, it's a, it's a tabletop RPG. You can create whatever you want. Um, You're not quite as limited as you are like in the tabletop wargaming space. Yeah. I will say there are uh, cyberpunk games tend to have uh, slightly different takes on this, uh, mostly because bikini armor almost makes sense. If your body is in fact made of bulletproof material. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's how you get really weird scenes in Ghost in the Shell. Yes, Ghost in the Shell <laughs> being the one that started this. Although I suspect, um, what is it? Uh, Bubblegum Crisis, which was an anime series that, that I think predates the original Ghost in the Shell and had, like, I think so. Transforming lady cyborgs um, with skimpy outfits kind of really set the tone for it it was very 80s and honestly um even though the author and artist of ghost in the shell is one of my favorites he's he was base. he's basically a, a porn artist who had a brief stint doing manga his career is very weird he's um, a porn artist who likes to occasionally draw guns yeah and we got we got uh ghost in the shell out of it and a couple of other weird, weird comic books. So, you know, if if he, he can do what he wants, who am I to judge what other people draw? I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Uh, Bubblegum Crisis may actually not be from before. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, there, there were some weird old uh, anime series that, you know, had that same sort of thought but this brings us into things like infinity yeah and i i thought about infinity but there's no like specific like warrior women cast or like society because that's kind of like where i was trying to steer it more towards other than just like a generalized women in gaming because that's a a big topic um i was trying to narrow it down a little bit but um like aleph goes full in on like the anime waifu aesthetic um but at that point, I feel like the the weird way that Aleph does like transhumans and robots, it's like, does it really matter to them? Because they're just, you know, half flesh, half machine vessels for a consciousness that can move around. And they, they have women that show up in other factions and all that. So there's, you know, there's some pretty good representation. They've also, I don't know if I should hand it to Corvus Belly or not. But they have done a good job of, like, toning down the overall perviness of their miniatures. Some of their old ones are really bad. Yes. Um, uh, I was going to bring up the uh, Tungus- the Nomad Tunguska Cheer Killers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who are a unit of cheerleader soldiers, effectively. As far as, like, what I would want from, like, depictions of warrior women or, like, warrior women societies and gamings is just do a do better, a better job of having that good representation, which is going to start with bringing more women into the writers' rooms to, you know, help with these representations and be like, no, just, like, slap an artist's hand away, be like, no, stop drawing like that. Do an actual better job of showing women even though it's a fictional world and a much more realistic light. Um, one of the best comments that I saw in regards to that kind of thinking was from the, one of the art books that came with the XCOM uh, game when they rebooted that, you know, a while ago. Um, they included women as part of your operatives that you can include in this game, which I think they didn't have in the original I can't quite remember. Um, but their lead artist, he wanted to emphasize that the the women that you're hiring as part of your XCOM core, they are soldiers first, and so they should look like soldiers. They shouldn't look like, you know, battle babes with really, like, skimpy or revealing costumes. Like, no, these are, they're soldiers. They're professionals. They should look as such. 
Um, and I feel like that same aesthetic should apply to wargaming because we want to draw as many people as we can into the hobby. We don't want to be putting off an image that drives people away, makes people think that we're, you know, any more weirder than we are. Um, yeah. And the, the more, you know, the more good writers that you get in there, um, can, you can end up with more recognizable fictional female characters, which there are, there are characters in our fantasy worlds that are recognizable, but they're not going to have the same kind of cultural traction that like Minsk or Dritz gets. Um, and until we get, until we get more representation and, you know, better writers, people who actually stop and think for two seconds about what they're doing. And that's not really going to change. And that's unfortunate. You know, we don't want to have to have people conform to like a culture of dudes so that they can, you know, come down and play games. That's just reinforcing the patriarchy. Yeah, I'm trying to think right now of is there a strong female fantasy character um, that is instantly like recognizable from a modern source? And not uh, that I can think of. Ooh, I mean, the best you've got is like Brienne of Tarth. Yeah. Um, but even then, she's a fairly minor player in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I guess maybe Cersei. But she's not a warrior uh, person at all. Though. Yeah, she, that's true. She's politics and nothing else. Yeah, Arya. She's a little, you know, warrior ninja girl. She's a, but rogue. she also is, she's kind of a periphery character. She she well, she went full rogue. Yeah. So it's like yeah, just it's something that if you like, if you actually stop and pay attention to it and make the effort you can make it happen, but because in our, in the patriarchal society, dudes as default is just how people operate, you know, that's going to be the work that they produce because that's, you know, what people have been exposed to and it's what they're used to. So you're going to need, it's going to take a lot more conscious effort than to say, oh yeah, just, you know, include some women in there or, you know, do the Mitt Romney binders full of women thing. It's like, no, you have to make a conscious, dedicated effort to make that change. So yeah, uh, long story short, uh, go out, uh, burn down the patriarchy, and uh, and wear more it, than just a chainmail bikini while you do it. Yeah, wear a wear a full uh, flame retardant uh, outfit. Uh, bring your wives and girlfriends, your sisters, your moms into wargaming. I'm pretty sure some of them might latch onto it. I actually think my mother-in-law might actually really enjoy D and D. So yeah. The more people in gaming, the better. Yes. Yay, and I've talked too long, so now you go ahead and talk about a board game. Yes, we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner, where we talk about a board game. Yay. Uh, today, we're talking about Azul, Stained Glass of Sintra. Uh, Azul is one we've talked about before, though it was a long time ago. It's a, like resource placement game they the azul games are always very very pretty um this one the idea is that you are all selecting glass panes to complete a stained glass window um you don't want to waste them because you know they they break then stained glass is expensive stained glass is expensive especially you know this is sort of like historical 15th century stained glass in portugal or spain um and, you know, the mechanics are pretty straightforward. It, it, players take turns selecting materials and then placing them into their board. And you have to think ahead because then try and figure out what other people are going to select so that you have stuff for the next round and you don't end up taking pieces that you can't use, which you lose points for because you're breaking the, the expensive stained glass. And then at the end, having the best stained glass window is determined by points that you score for various like things on the board. Um, the Azul games are great. Uh, they're typically run about $40. I believe this one is available all over the place. Any game store is going to have it. Uh, Target sometimes has it, I've seen. Um, it is well available and a great uh, like game to play with family as it is not 
terribly complicated and it doesn't have dice or cards or mechanics that confuse people. I highly recommend any of the Azul games. Bravo. I don't just I just can't... remember that they are different games and not like expansions to the same game. I can't remember if I played Azul or not. If you haven't, then at some point I should come over and usually we should play it with your wife because she would probably enjoy it. Yeah, because I remember I remember seeing it when it came out and I was like, oh, this looks really cool. But at the time, I was like, I don't have excess cash to spend on board games right now. And so I never got around to it. And then it went out of print for a while. It, and it was going for like print. stupid money. It's out of print was because it was so popular that uh, people, there was just a massive over demand for it. it. It made a bunch of like lists of best things to buy people for Christmas this year. And so I mean, it disappeared off shelves. I mean, better to sell out due to popularity than to be canceled and fade away into obscurity, I guess. It's better to sell out than to fade away. Mm-hmm. My, my. And that's our show. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, like, subscribe, rate, um, hit the little bell if somehow this got on YouTube. Um, <laughs> you can follow us on social media mostly follow ed at null country doesn't do anything these days and to be honest i think i'm just keeping it around to see if we can get booted off of x <laughs> um, well uh i think if we mention twitter uh things will happen oh or if i don't know maybe we just keep insulting elon musk enough i don't know if he has somebody who just their whole day is just spent trolling twitter looking for insults and people to ban i think you just get blocked by him at that point you have to do something, like, serious, like, I don't know, track his private jet. <laughs> or, um, to refuse, get upset when he calls you a pedophile or something to actually get banned. We'll go, we'll go make fun of his way too late to the game cryptocurrency. Ugh. Uh, this, is, this has been the Elon Musk corner of, oh, the, of the episode. I think if you post photos of his old hair... Uh, he gets very upset. <laughs> yep, that'll do it. Um, yes, and then, of course, do all the things Ed's about to tell you to do. Oh, you can follow me on Instagram and Adam Madness. Uh, I've been abnormally active there lately. I've been doing a lot of painting stuff. It's good for the mental health. Uh, you can go burn down the patriarchy, uh, be gay, do crimes. Uh, that's what I do. Uh, you can go see the Barbie movie if you want uh, some more pop culture feminism. I you recommend it. You can go it. see it's the fun. Oppenheimer movie if you want Christopher Nolan to get three hours of your life. <sighs> There's already like two other movies about Oppenheimer and I've already seen one of them and I already know the story. I don't care that much. I know how it ends. <laughs> they detonate let, a nuke. Unless they detonate an actual nuke and film it in 8K. I, I don't want to see it. I, I mean, I think they detonated an actually massive bomb and filmed that in whatever stupid like cinema nerd Christopher Nolan wanted it to be filmed in. So it's not yeah, CGI. But that's, that's not a nuke. That's just a really big bomb. I want Dude. them to drop a nuke, film it in 8k and then uh, we'll have to deal with the fallout from whatever part of Nevada we've irradiated. I, I, I don't think we want to do that. Here you, here you go. Uh, reopen the old testing facility outside Vegas. You sell tickets for it. That's what we do with... That's how we do nuclear disarmament. We turn it into a spectacle. That was the original tourist attraction in Vegas, was watching the bombs get tested. <laughs> we just bring it back. I mean... I would go see it. I'd be like, hell yeah. No. I mean, it's better to, better to see it as, like, a demonstration than to be like, oh my god, what is falling from the sky? I... Uh, I, I will agree with you on this, but we can't do it on Earth. We've already fucked up Earth enough. So Yeah, but then it's just then it's just gonna be like just a sphere of, of plasma. It's not as interesting as the mushroom cloud. Mars. Yeah, get fuck your Mars. Ass to Mars. And come on, come on, Muskie. Get to Mars, start nuking it. Yeah, no, and start nuking the polar ice caps. It's stage one of terraforming it. We'll just we'll just do project plowshares on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I am like 95% serious. We should take all the nukes and dump them on Mars. Uh, nuking the nuking Mars would actually help with terraforming it. 
Um, mostly because you're not going outside and breathing the atmosphere until the half-life of all that shit is over anyways, because terraforming takes forever. Um, and dumping all bunch of uh, thermal energy into the polar ice caps might help get some shit moving in the, like, planetary cycle. You're also going to have to <laughs> slam some comets into it and put up some solar uh, reflector arrays and do a lot of other shit to make it habitable. But nuking it is a great first step and a great way to use up some nuclear weapons. So, yeah, uh, in addition to uh, burning down the patriarchy, you can advocate for getting rid of our nuclear weapons by using them in a cool way. Yes. Um, you can donate your dollars to uh, local charity, uh, preferably bail funds or uh, reproductive justice funds, queer, uh, queer helping charities. Uh, strike um, funds for yep, the strike writers funds. and actors guilds. Yep. Um, don't don't cross a writer's or an actor's picket line uh, unless you live in Hollywood. I don't know how you would do that. So I think if you're anywhere else, you're probably safe. Uh, but if you're in L.A., don't fucking do it. The there's various. Uh, there's some in New York. There's some in Georgia. You know, there's there's studios over in many places now. Um, what else? Uh, you can you can sink Florida into the ground and or reduce it to a status of a territory. Yes. Um, I'm I'm running out of running out of steam here for my general leftist burns. Um, if 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 we're lucky, uh, Wisconsin might go full liberal in the next cycle. <laughs> um, bring bring back Wisconsin unions. Well, yes, and, you know, we need the home of Gary Gygax to be less terrible. Um, mm -hmm. Just because there's some political and court cases that could fix the unbelievably ridiculous gerrymandering that's gone on with their legislative, with the state legislative map. Wisconsin, what's wrong with you? <laughs> they don't believe in contiguous districts up there. It's so weird. It's fucking weird, yeah. Um, yep. So yeah, that that could be cool. Uh, thumbs up for for more Trump indictments. Woo! Um, we're at, one of them, one of them's got a stick. We're at like three right now. Uh, let's get to let's let's pump those numbers up. I think Vegas is giving odds on whether or not he makes it to a hundred felony uh, counts by the end of the year. He's at seventy six or something. So the question right is, what he gets from Georgia, huh? Yep. Well, he's been antagonizing the DA there, so I imagine that's going to not go well. <laughs> um, yeah, and as always, go Knowles. Go Knowles.